Get behind me, Satan. Whoa. Get behind me, Satan, is something that Jesus said, and it, and it, it, it is startling. And I want to just start this morning, before we get to our passage in 1 Corinthians, I want to just tell this quick story of why did Jesus say that to a friend? Why would Jesus have needed to say that to one of his closest followers? Well, the situation uh, in, in Mark 8 was this, that Jesus had begun to teach his followers that he himself, the Son of Man, must suffer many things, and that he would be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and that he would be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. And the Bible tells us that Jesus said this plainly. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. See, Peter didn't like this idea. This didn't go along with Peter's idea of what should happen to this promised rescuer. So Peter begins to rebuke Jesus, and that's when Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. Why? Listen to this. Listen to the rest of what Jesus says. Why does he say that? For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So we start there today because I think when we get into our passage in 1 Corinthians, you're going to see that... uh, that we, we get a little bit of this, that Paul is uh, addressing this issue. There's a difference between the human way of thinking and God's way of thinking. There's human tendencies and our preferences and the way we expect things to go. And then there's what God is doing in the world through the power of his spirit. And are those things always the same? There's human values. There's things that we prioritize. There's things that we hold up to be important and good and best. But then there's seeking what matters to God. And do our priorities and our values and our expectations match up to what matters really to God? So we're in a series of messages we just started last Sunday called Better Together as we study through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want to encourage you to open your Bible right now, if you would. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, 1, verse 10. I almost said chapter 10. Grab your Bible, pull it out, or your Bible app on your phone or device, and Uh, Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to begin in a moment at verse 10. And uh, again, this is a series where we're going to teach through this book of the Bible, and this is a letter written by an early church leader named Paul to a group of Christians in in a place called Corinth. So it's a letter to followers of Jesus um, and to us as well, because it is the word of God. So uh, as you turn to 1 Corinthians 1 there, let me just pray briefly for us. Father God, wanting this morning to be all about you, always, every Sunday, every time we gather, every time we hear from your word, wanting this to be all about you, wanting our focus to be on the cross, wanting to focus on Jesus, and God, desiring to see things your way, I pray this uh, as the psalmist wrote in the Bible, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We look to you, Lord. We look to your word. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 10. I'm going to read the whole passage that we're going to look at this morning right through, and then we'll uh, take a little closer look. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or some, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say you were baptized in my name. Oh, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me, Paul writes, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See, there are human ways of doing things, and our human ways of doing things can include dividing amongst ourselves, separating for our own reasons. While God's ways, I would say, and as we've titled the series, while God's ways say that we are better together, striving for unity in Jesus. We're gonna see as we continue to study this morning and in this series that the Corinthians have divided themselves into parties, into factions. And we too, if we're honest and if we wrestle with it a little bit this morning, we too divide ourselves. We wanna identify with a certain person or we wanna identify with a certain opinion. Uh, We wanna justify ourselves. And so we divide ourselves up according to some different factors because we want to justify ourselves. We wanna be right. We wanna be aligned with with the popular person or the correct person or the thing that we agree with. We wanna be seen as important. And so we divide ourselves. And so today's passage, Paul is introducing a key, I think, and we're gonna, he's going to continue to explain this in the coming uh, passages, in the coming weeks of our series. But today, Paul introduces this key to seeking and finding unity for followers of Jesus. And that's this, that we need to rely on Jesus, that we need to focus on the cross, Rather than exalting uh, human leaders or putting too much expectation on human leaders, we need to focus on the cross, on what God has done. Instead of, and we're going to think about some different ways they may have divided or reasons that were behind these factions, but instead of overemphasizing style or skill or one particular uh, theological truth, Instead of overemphasizing any of that, the key to striving for unity is is looking for what the Spirit of God is doing. Following God's work, not the work of these human leaders. Look for what God is doing and then join in his good news mission to the world. So, Because of our tendency to divide, because the Corinthians have divided themselves and are trying to align themselves and distinguish themselves from others, our passage, verse 10, starts with Paul, uh, God speaking through Paul, writing this letter to these believers, and it starts with an appeal to unity. Look at verse 10 again with me. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. I'm actually gonna come back to verse 10 in just a couple minutes and, and we'll look at that appeal in more detail. But the bottom line is, 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 or is just an overview here is that this passage is an introduction to more of the letter that's ahead. Uh, the next, really, the next four or five sermons will unpack this idea, uh, the importance of unity, why unity among followers of Jesus is so crucial, and the ensuing passages in our Bible and the, in, and the following messages in our series are going to look at these four, kind of four ways, four methods by which that kind of unity can be possible. Let's continue. Verse 11. Paul explains now in verse 11 how he came to know, you know that there was a problem. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So people are quarreling here, and quarreling is actually perhaps a little bit too soft of a term here. People are quarreling because they are aligning themselves with different leaders. Even, even the Christ group, think about that. I follow Cephas, that's another name for Peter. I follow Paul, I follow Paulus. These are, these are church leaders at the time. And even the group that says, I follow Christ. At first glance, we probably think, yeah, right? And, and it, it seems like perhaps even that group is dividing themselves, aligning themselves, trying to set themselves as better than others because of whatever it is that they're arguing about. And the reason, and really, you know, as, as I studied this week and as you read multiple scholars, really the, the, the exact reason for these divisions is a little bit unclear. And, and there's only, there's some speculation, there's some hints, there's some things that we could look at, and we'll even mention a couple of them this morning, what perhaps was behind these divisions. But here's one thing that might come to, you might wonder, Man, were, were Paul and Apollos and Peter, were they arguing? Were they at odds? Because maybe that's why the people are dividing. Maybe, maybe they're dividing over who they're following because maybe those leaders were at odds. And, and I just think it's important to note that there's little evidence that at this time in their, in their teaching, there's little evidence to support the fact that they would be at any odds. So I, I don't think that people are dividing because the leaders themselves are at odds but more because they're clinging to different things. Um, John Piper, an author and a pastor, writes this. The nature of the disunity at Corinth is basically a kind of boasting or pride that it expresses itself in playing off one teacher against another and getting strokes, getting ourselves pats on the back for having some kind of special relationship with the teacher that they think is superior. So... So perhaps one reason for these divisions is just aligning with a, f a preferred leader. I like that guy, I like his style, I like the way he speaks, I like what he says, and so I'm gonna align myself there because maybe I'm gonna see myself as a little more important if I'm in that camp, or I'm gonna distinguish myself from you because I'm not in that camp. This seems to be a little bit of what they're doing. As and, and here's what I think is interesting. Even if we're a little bit unclear about the reasons for the factions, these divisions, um, the way that God directed the word of God, the Bible in your lap, to be written in his wisdom, I think it's in God's wisdom that it's unclear. Why? That, that, we don't, that he doesn't explain exactly what's behind 
these groups. And why would I say that? Because I think it helps us, instead of wasting time arguing and searching and figuring out why were they arguing, what are they dividing about, instead of that, perhaps what we really need to get out of the passage today is to focus on the principle that we see throughout the passage. And that's what we've already talked about. That we, that the Corinthians needed to focus on Jesus rather than exalting human leaders. That we today, followers of Jesus, need to rely and focus on what Jesus has done, what, what, how we can serve him, not worrying about uh, which leaders we prefer and how those leaders can benefit us. So, so if in this letter to the, to the Corinthians, Paul is bringing this issue up to them, it's a problem. They're, they're, they're having these divisions. They're saying, I'm in this group, you're in that group, I'm in this group. Well, what about us today in 2019? How does this type of thing play out among us? How do you and I, this is where I wanna wrestle. This is where I wanna ask God to, to help us think. How do you and I seek to validate ourselves by associating or by who we associate with? How, how do we look to, to increase our identity or our importance by who we associate with, who, what we prioritize, what we emphasize, and, and what does that say about us? Individually, collectively as a local church family, collectively as Christians across the globe, what are some of these ways that we have a tendency to divide ourselves, to align ourselves to a certain person or a certain cause, that, that in an effort to build ourselves up or to make us important or to... Um, or to divide with others, to distinguish ourselves from others. So let's just think about some examples real quick. Um, I, I think we still do this uh, today in terms of educational credentials. You know, we refer to who, what school we went to, or we refer to what professor I had. Boy, I had such and such a professor, and you know, since he's world-renowned, and since he's you know, known, and since he's written books, uh, and he was my professor, we, we do that kind of stuff to align ourselves, to build ourselves up, to, to distinguish ourselves from other points of view. Uh, one of the commentators I studied this week wrote this. This is the reason we latch on to causes. Our cause that we latch on to or, or, the, or the person we latch on to to associate with becomes kind of a surrogate savior, this guy writes. They become a surrogate savior. So we become fierce evangelists for political parties, diets, methods of parenting, etc. Can you fill in the blanks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What, we become passionate evangelists. We become really fired up. This is the way to do it. You want to lose weight? This is the way to do it. Parenting, there's only one right way. So-and-so author said, and I'm all in, and that's my group. And whatever, what are the other areas of life where we where we uh, latch on to a cause, and, and what might be going on in our heart, this guy says, is they become really kind of a surrogate savior. Because now if I'm aligned with the correct thing or the thing that the most people agree with, then I must be better off. So then his quote continues, and we'll put this part on the screen. This, wrestle with this a bit. These things give us a sense of identity and purpose insofar as they make us different than or distinct from other people. So, so by aligning ourselves with these different causes or people, it, it, it adds to our identity, but only really to differentiate us, to distinguish us, to make us different than everybody else. And then look at the potential harm. But those identities build walls 
that destroy the shalom, the peace with others, the peace, the wholeness in life that we are seeking. So, so perhaps we, we divide, we're trying to align ourselves, we're trying to make things go better, we're trying to prove ourselves, and yet maybe in doing so, we're actually building walls, bringing more harm, more disunity, more division, and, and actually making it more difficult for ourselves and others. And this happens in the church too, in a, in a church family. Instead of um, finding ourselves uh, in disunity about lesser priorities, our, our personal preferences or um, uh, you know, relatively minor theological points or whatever, instead of finding ourselves in disunity about some of these lesser priorities, we are to strive for unity within our church family for the sake of higher priorities, for the sake of gospel proclamation, for the sake of the name of Jesus being made big, and for people finding new life in him and being changed, being forgiven, being rescued, being changed from the inside out. What if instead of disunity for lesser priorities, we ask God to help us with unity toward the higher priorities? What else contributes uh, today to this kind of division, to these factions? What are, what are, how do we relate to it 2,000 years after this letter was written? Um, you know, denominations, uh, different kinds of, of church denominations add to the problem. You think about our town, 16,000 people and X number of square miles and the number of churches that are in town. And some of those divisions are appropriate because it's over major essential theological differences, things that are that are true that the Bible teaches and things that are untrue. And so some of those divisions are necessary, but are, are all those denominational divisions necessary? When we agree that Jesus is God, that salvation is found in him alone, not by the works, of, the works that we do, but by God's grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, there's a lot of unity there with a lot of churches in our little town, in our state, in our country, and so denominations add a little bit to the trouble. Another commentator wrote this um, about, as we think about de denominations, in fact, and some of the reasons we distinguish ourselves from other Christians, um, and we think through different theological matters, we think through different things that the Bible teaches. Here's what another commentator wrote. Emphasizing one aspect of truth, something that we believe the Bible teaches. And we, instead, of, instead of emphasizing one aspect of truth, we gotta be careful that in, in doing that, in, in emphasizing one particular theological truth, that we don't emphasize that one at the expense of, of the whole truth as it is in Jesus. In, in other words, even, even in something that's true, even in something that's theologically important, we need to be careful to not make that thing bigger than the whole truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. How else do we do this uh, today in 2019? find ourselves raising hands with, I'm with Cephas, I'm with Apollos, I'm with Paul. Well, I, I think, you know, we have this amazing amount of information at our hands, don't we? On the internet, on the TV, in books, etc. And there's, there's a Christian celebrity culture 
that is also lending itself to this kind of division. And, and, th- and these, are, these are good people that God's using in good ways that are teaching and that are, have national ministries and that are on television or perhaps they're, they're prolific authors and so they're well-known across the country, not just at the church where they teach. Um, but, and these are good, these are good things that are, God is using for his good purposes, but then there's podcasts, and there's these books, and there's blogs for us to read, and, and, and to follow these teachers, and then does it end up with us going, that's my tribe, that's your tribe, I'm different than you because we distinguish on, I'm, this is my favorite author, this is my favorite podcast preacher, I listen to this guy's sermons on the internet, and, and we end up defining ourselves by these Christian celebrities. We think that we've maybe become somehow more important or, or distinguished from others because of our alignment with them, when really what we're doing is, is, is increasing disunity and distinguishing ourselves and, and, and separating ourselves. There's a human way of doing things, and there's God's way of doing things. We, humans, the Corinthians, us, tend to want to divide to identify ourselves, to, to justify ourselves. And in doing so, perhaps we build walls. And so Paul begins with that appeal to unity that we read in verse 10. So what does that look like then, is what we should be asking. How do we then unify? Where, where do we come together? Well, Paul calls uh, the Corinthians, and Paul calls us in this letter to center our lives on the cross of Jesus Christ to center our lives on the gospel. Let's continue in the passage. In our passage now, Paul responds with three rhetorical questions. He, he set the stage for their disunity and how they're quarreling among these different factions. And now in verse 13, Paul responds with three rhetorical questions. Number one question is, is Christ divided? What's the answer? No. If Christ is is one, if Christ is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, if he is uh, three in one, part of the Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, is Christ divided? No. So then what's Paul saying? If Christ is not divided, then you as followers of Jesus should not be divided. Let's look at, let's look at Paul's, let's look back at verse 10, at that original appeal to unity. I appeal to you, brothers, By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does Paul mean by that? By the power and authority of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you, what? That you all agree. In the original language there, what's translated agree, it literally says, I appeal to you that you all say the same thing. And that there be no divisions and interestingly, this term here for divisions is, is a term used for political parties. And this is where we get this idea of these factions, these rival factions that are against each other and out to get each other and distinguishing themselves from each other is how they're acting when they say, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, I follow Apollos. So Paul writes in this appeal, I appeal, I appeal to you that you all say the same thing, that there be no factions and divisions among you, but that you be reunited or restored to unity in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, really really quickly, it's important to think too about what he's not saying because we see elsewhere in scripture. 
What is he not saying? Paul's not saying that we need to be unanimous in in all of our perspectives in every issue. Are you with me on that? Think about our church family. Two worship gatherings, hundreds of people that come and go from faith church. Think about, you know, his appeal to unity and saying the same thing, working together, being on the same page. But what he's not saying is that we have to be unanimous, agreeing on every perspective, on every issue. That's clearly not true from other things we see. He's not also, he's not requiring us to be uniform in action. You know, he's not calling us all to be robots that all do the same thing and go the same direction and think everything the same. That's not what's, what's happening here. We, we know that that's not true because later in this letter, in 1 Corinthians 12, he's gonna talk about the diversity of the body of Christ, the people that make up the body, the diversity, the incredible differences of, of personality and spiritual giftedness and how God beautifully brings those differences together for his glory. So clearly, it's not a matter of us needing to be unanimous and uniform and, and robotic in everything. But what is he calling for? What type of unity is critical then? What does God expect of his people? What does God expect of his people in order to avoid sinful divisiveness? These kinds of things, I think. This is an excellent quote from a professor at Denver Seminary. Cooperation, working together, mutual concern, I care about you, you demonstrate care for me. We, we, we come together out of that, not out of our distingu- distinguishing our differences. Peaceful coexistence, working to, to, to live in harmony with the people around us in as much as it matters to me, live in harmony. Edification and love, building up others not tearing them down, not looking for differences, not looking to divide, but edification, building up, strengthening them. Are our lives, look at those terms, are our lives in Jesus characterized in those ways? As if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been rescued by God and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life and he is transforming you from the inside out and as you follow Jesus, you are being made more like Jesus, Do our lives, me and you, are our lives characterized in those ways? In our individual relationships, in our church family, with Christians everywhere, with those we come in contact that need to know Jesus? Paul's question was, is Christ divided? The answer is no. And so then the appeal to unity in verse 10 is, as followers of Jesus, you must not be divided either. Rhetorical question number two, still in verse 13. Was Paul crucified for you? What's the answer? One more time. Was Paul crucified for you, friends? So if it wasn't Paul that was crucified for you, then then he's of lesser importance than Jesus. He's important. He wrote most of our New Testament. God used him in powerful ways. But he asks them now, these Corinthians, you guys are arguing. You're saying, you're with Paul. I'm with Peter. And now Paul says, hey, was I... Did I die for you? No. He wants to teach them. He wants to help them. He wants to encourage them. But he did not die and be raised again for them. He wants to point them to Jesus. And the third rhetorical question, Paul writes in that same sentence, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
You became, you, God rescued you from sin and death. You put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And as a public demonstration of your faith in Jesus, you were baptized in the water. And friends, you go ahead and you answer this. Those of you that have been baptized as followers of Jesus, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Some of you, I've dunked you. Were you baptized in the name of Derek? Paul's saying, hey, I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you except Crispus and Gaius. Oh, wait, maybe I did baptize the household of Stephanus. But beyond that, I don't know if there's anybody else. His point is, I don't want people going around saying, I got baptized by Derek. <laughs> you got baptized by so-and-so. <laughs> no specific name mentioned, right? Paul doesn't want that. Is baptism important? Is baptism taught in the Bible? Does Jesus command that we be baptized? Yes, baptism is important. But proclamation of the good news of what Jesus has done, his life, death, and resurrection is more important. That's what Paul's saying here. Baptism played an important role in the early church, and it still does today in our church family. But it takes a back seat to gospel proclamation. Why? Because hearing, listen to this, why would baptism take a backseat to proclamation of the gospel, to proclaiming the good news of what Jesus has done? Because hearing and believing the gospel is essential to salvation. People aren't saved unless they hear the good news of Jesus, unless they come to know what Jesus has done, his life, death, and resurrection. While baptism is not essential to salvation. Baptism, being dunked in the water, doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. What God has done in your heart has already made you a follower of Jesus. We are baptized as a public proclamation of that. Yes, it's commanded by God. Yes, we should do that. Yes, it's important. But Paul's saying, you weren't baptized in my name. What we were doing was pointing to what Jesus has done. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, Paul says, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There's a human way of doing things, and there's God's way. And, and Paul doesn't want the Corinthians to get caught up or divide over these different human issues or these associating with what human leader they want to associate with or what cause they want to associate with. Paul doesn't want them to get caught up in that. Paul explains, hey, Jesus himself sent me. Why, Paul says, why did Jesus himself send me? To proclaim the gospel, to teach the good news. Because the gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The good news that you and I need to hear over and over again, no matter how long you've been a Christian, and definitely those of you that are not yet a Christian, need to know that by yourself, you're a sinful, rebellious mess. And you can't save yourself. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can't try hard enough. You won't match up to God's righteous standard. And the glorious good news of the gospel is that we don't have to. That, he, that God pursued us, that God sent his son so that Jesus would live the life that we cannot live, die the death that we deserve, and be raised again to new life, showing us that we too can find new life because of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 is a great summary of the gospel. It's on the screen. But God shows us his love for us in that while we were still stuck in our rebellion... 
against him, Christ died. Christ went to the cross. And at the cross, the pivot point of human history, sinful you and I are made right and restored in relationship and adopted into the family of the great God of the universe. And so why does, and this is, this is curious, why does Paul say, hey, I, I need to preach the gospel. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And then he adds these details, not with words of eloquence or wisdom. What's he talking about? I think those are values of the Corinthians and perhaps values that some of us still hold on to. I think the Corinthians in their culture really valued eloquence and importance and style and substance and impressiveness and eloquence and wisdom. Because what did we learn last week as we started, as we learned about Corinth? Corinth included these traveling speakers, these professional orators who would charge admission to their speaking displays and they would put on a show and they would entertain with their skills and their styles and they would draw attention to who? They would draw attention to themselves and they would leave the audience what? Impressed, wanting to follow them, impressed by their cleverness. That's the human way of doing things. That's the human way of getting attention. And if Paul, so what Paul's saying in verse 17 is that if Paul depended on that kind of style, skill, show, that would rob the cross of its central significance, its critical importance, its main impact on God's rescue plan. If Paul was dependent, in fact, there's elsewhere in scripture that says that people thought Paul was a pretty terrible speaker. Because if he was dependent on, on cleverness and, and eloquence and wisdom and putting on a show, it would actually take away from the gospel power. The Bible teaches us in Romans 1, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Does that sound like power that can stand on its own or it needs a little human help? The power of the gospel, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, for rescue, for forgiveness, for, for getting out of sin and death and into a new life. And this, this resonates with me personally too and, and what God has called me to do. And when I have the opportunity to do the things that God, I believe, has made me to do and called me to do, I want you to know that the most important thing to me is not that you see me, it's that you see Jesus. And sometimes afterward on Sunday, some of you are really kind and say things like, nice sermon, pastor, and, and you mean it, and I'm encouraged, and God does need to encourage me sometimes through you. But I want you to know, I'm not, I don't need to hear good sermon. What I, what I may not always ask you back, but what I kind of would want to ask you back is, why? How did God work? How did you see Jesus? How is your life changed because of God? Not because of Derek. 
Didn't know this part was going to shake me up a little bit. (laughs) Similarly, similarly, we could leave gathering together on Sunday and we could say things like, you know, church was great. The music was awesome. I had a blast at church. You know, I mean, and those, and those, I hope those things are true. I, I want those things to be true. We want to have a good experience together. We want to gather together. We want to enjoy each other's company. We want to proclaim Jesus. We want to celebrate the gospel. We want to lift our voices. But hopefully, we don't say those things as we leave on a Sunday because we were entertained or because we were satisfied or our needs were met by the human leaders. Hopefully we don't say those things because we got what we wanted or needed from the human leaders. I hope that we respond and they say those things because we leave here seeing that at Faith Church, we make much of Jesus Christ. And that we point to him for all you need. Paul writes in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Friends, let me say just one more time. We don't have to fancy up the gospel. I don't need to try very hard at all. The gospel speaks loudly for itself that God loved the world in such a way that he sent his son and that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. So that's what we do here, is we point to the cross. We point each other to Jesus. We want you to meet Jesus. We want you to follow Jesus. We want you to find new life in Jesus. We want you to be transformed and made new because of Jesus. And then, and along the way, we want you to go live for Jesus. Father God, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness to us, your love for us. Father God, we thank you for the good news of this rescue plan that you sent your son to live and die and be raised again so that we too might have life. Father God, would you remind us this morning, would you help us to not be ashamed of the gospel because we know it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God, help me to not be ashamed of the gospel. Help me to know that it is the power of God at work for the rescue of everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. And I, and, I, and I pray along those lines this morning too, Lord, that you would help us this morning to recognize our need for you. If there's anyone in this room living apart from the grace and kindness and rescuing um, salvation work of Jesus, God, I pray that you would let them know that they don't have to do it on their own. They don't have to match up. That it's not about how many times they come to church or how good of a person they can be, but that God, by your grace and kindness, You have rescued us through Jesus. So as we recognize our need for you, Father, I pray we would put our faith in you today, trusting you for for what we need. And God, I pray that we would continue to find forgiveness and salvation and new life in you. Father, as the ushers come and as we get to stand in a few moments and lift our voices and as we say our prayers to you and as we connect with and love each other this morning, God, I pray that we would, you would help us to focus our lives on the good news 
of Jesus' rescuing work. I pray that you would help us to focus our lives on what we have in common. I pray that you would help us to focus our lives on what really matters. Jesus and what was accomplished on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.